0: Well, we are following along a conversation, <clears throat> a conversation that occurred the night before Jesus was crucified. It's a long conversation. It goes for five chapters all together in John's Gospel, chapter 13 to 17. And one of the features of this conversation. And it's hardly un- an unusual feature, I just pointed out because it will help us keep track of what's going on, but one of the features of this conversation is that actually it's a little bit of a Q&A session with Jesus. Uh, the conversation is punctuated by questions or by requests posed by the disciples to Jesus and answered by Christ. Sometimes his answer is short and sometimes his answer is long. So this week, we're actually looking at four questions. Peter, Lord, where are you going? Peter, Lord, why can't I follow you now? Thomas, Lord, we don't know where you're going. So how can we know the way to the place where you are going? And then finally, Philip, Lord, show us the Father. And that'll be enough for us. So let's consider these four questions in order. Firstly, Peter, Lord, where are you going? The question of where is an important question in John's Gospel. The question of where Jesus comes from, where Jesus is going to. Those kinds of questions have arisen a lot of times in this gospel. In fact, it's the first question anybody asks Jesus in this gospel. Rabbi, where are you staying? And later on, Pontius Pilate, in deep fear, will demand Jesus answers him, where are you from? So, where is an important question? Just as we might think that we understand somebody's identity once we've seen a picture of them or once we've heard about what they do for a living, so too in this Jewish culture, understanding where is an important step in understanding somebody's identity. Where are they from? Where are they going? Where do they live? So too now, in the fourth gospel, these where questions again occupy a lot of of time in people's minds. Do we know where Jesus is from? Do we know where Jesus is going? And the answers to all of these questions have simultaneously always been both kind of yes and no, simultaneously. Yeah, we do know, and no, we don't know, at the same time. Like Christ's identity the answers, the true answers to these questions are beyond simple understanding. They're often very complex. And Jesus' answer now is necessarily enigmatic. Where I am going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. Second question. Peter, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Well, it it seems that Peter understands Jesus' answer as being all about the cross, at least the cross as a partial answer that does make sense of what Jesus has just said. Jesus has been, after all, preparing his disciples for the certainty of the cross for months, if not years, And of course, the first time that Peter heard about the cross, he was utterly scandalized. No way, Lord. That will never happen to you. The idea that the Messiah of God, the anointed King of Israel, would be betrayed into the hands of Gentiles, tortured, spat upon, falsely accused, and then executed. Executed by way of crucifixion. No, 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 no. That was just too shocking to process. But now... The night before it will all happen, Peter seems resigned to it all happening, just as Jesus has said it will all happen. And Peter, it seems, has come to terms with it. But now, and perhaps with uh, that stinging rebuke in mind, how Jesus rebuked him for contradicting him, uh, Peter now declares his unqualified loyalty in terms of total sacrifice. I will lay down my life for you. Yes, indeed. Jesus makes it clear in many, many places that Peter will follow him. He will follow him later. He will lay down his life in many and various ways. And finally and fully and most perfectly, Peter himself will go to his own cross and be crucified uh, in Rome in the early 60s. But, but not now and not this time. At the moment... Jesus has work to do that only Jesus can do. Just as it is physically impossible for a four-year-old boy wearing a Superman costume to fly, so it is spiritually impossible for Peter to follow Jesus to this particular cross. Only Jesus could offer the one true sacrifice for sin, to obtain forgiveness of sins only Jesus is a human being without sin no other sacrifice for our evil would do but we can safely presume that Peter is infected at least to some degree with the same sinfulness that affects all of us, a sinfulness that resists the cross in every conceivable way a sinful rejection of the cross that says, oh, You're not serious. I don't need Jesus to die for me. I mean, after all, what have I done? I'm, I'm good, thanks. Uh, I'm basically a good person. How, 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 wh- why is that necessary? Or the sinfulness that rejects the cross by saying, No, 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 no. What's important is what I can do for God. God needs my activity, my sacrifice in order to advance his purposes. So far is Peter, so far away is Peter from being able to go to this particular cross that Jesus tells Peter that, as a matter of fact, when Peter tries to do this, and he will try, he will try to hang around and stick along. He will try in his own strength to go with Jesus. But actually, what he'll end up doing is actually the very opposite of what he wants to do. He will betray him. He will deny that he even knows him. Not once, not twice, but three times. Astonishingly, however, Jesus doesn't skip a beat. He doesn't even draw breath. He immediately moves to reassure Peter and the rest of his disciples. Don't fear. Just trust. Jesus is going to open up the way to a space where They can all be together. My father's house has many rooms. Again, profoundly enigmatic. I mean, what does that mean? It's really difficult to know for sure what Jesus means. I mean, after all, since he was 12 years of age, Jesus has regularly referred to the temple in Jerusalem as my father's house. That's how Jesus' disciples would have most naturally heard him. Jeez, this my Father's house is the temple in Jerusalem. From another point of view, from a kind of a New Testament-y kind of point of view, what is the Father's house? Well, it's the household of the fellowship of this Holy Spirit. It's the church, in other words. We are the Father's house. We are the household of God. And from another point of view, perhaps Jesus is talking about the heavenly mansion far outside of our experience in time and space. Which, Which of these options is Jesus talking about? Well, actually, I don't think it really matters which one we choose. And the reason why it doesn't really matter which one we choose is that ultimately, all three of those options ultimately will be exactly the same place. One day, it'll all be the same. the space where we can all be together with Jesus, heaven on earth. But given that Jesus has just said that he'll return to accompany his disciples so that they might be where he is, it's a little bit startling that Jesus concludes with, you know the way to the place where I am going. And that prompts question number three from Thomas. Lord, we, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way to the place where you are going? And of course, they're, they're thinking about time and space. They're kind of thinking about real estate. And as you may have noticed, actually, the Old Testament is somewhat preoccupied with real estate. As Delmar says in O Brother, Where Art Thou?, you ain't no kind of man unless you got land. Real estate's important. Space to be. And in the Old Testament, salvation and the promised land seem at times to be interchangeable and identical things. So again, in their belief that Jesus is the Messiah, the promised king of the Jews, their expectations would be firmly geographical. Where on earth is Jesus going? His throne, according to scripture, has to be in Zion, in Jerusalem, the city of David, the city of God. But Jesus' answers don't seem to quite fit that. Well, actually, the priority of salvation is not real estate. The priority is relationship. Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth And the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. And again, these are utterly extraordinary words, words that point to Christ's identity, but along the way, break. Indeed, smash all of our categories. A a, a little bit like asking for directions to the local supermarket and somebody answering, I am the car and the road and the journey and the destination. No, no, but, but where's the supermarket? In the same way, Philip clings to smashed and broken categories when he asks question four, Lord, show us the Father. And that will be enough for us. You see, Philip mistakenly believes that Father is Jesus' word for God. And that when Jesus refers to Father, he means God. Philip is saying, we know, Lord, that you are a prophet of God. Just show us, God. That's all that any human being could ever ask for. And part of the problem is that Philip, alongside much of humanity, thinks of as God as being a single person. As a Jewish man, his assumption is that there is only one God, and God is a single person. So then Philip is making the mistake I've just spoken about. He thinks that Jesus, as a prophet, is able to show him God to reveal God to him, to point him to God? Well, Jesus' answer will continue to gently dismantle Philip's theological framework. Jesus and the Father are the same God. There is only one God. If you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father. Jesus and the Father are the same God. That is why Jesus can say privately to his disciples, in private, something that would have gotten him stoned immediately if he'd said in public, verse 1 of chapter 14, trust God, trust also in me. To trust Jesus is to trust God. They are the same God. But they, the Father and the Son are not the same person. When Jesus speaks, he speaks the Father's words, not his own. And when Jesus acts, he does the Father's works, not his own. They are not the same person. And yet the two persons are connected in a real but mysterious way. The Father is living in Jesus, and Jesus is living in the Father. If we think God is one person, we are mistaken. But if we think that there is more than one God, we are mistaken. What is the evidence for these mind-shattering, paradigm-exploding, worldview-crushing assertions? Well, Jesus tells us that the evidence is the miracles that he has been doing turning water into wine, healing the sick, making the lame to walk, multiplying fishes and loaves, walking on water, giving sight to the blind, raising the dead. They are the Father's works. Human beings don't do miracles like those. That's staggering evidence because Jesus did all those things, and human beings don't do miracles like those. Well, let's read on. Verse 12. Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing. And they will do even greater things than these. Because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. Oh, turns out I'm wrong. Human beings do do those kinds of miracles. In fact, they do them in abundance, and even greater ones than those. How could I be so wrong? But they only do them if they're located inside of God. When we do miracles, it is Jesus living in us, when we do the works of Jesus, it is Jesus working through us. When we speak about Jesus, or on behalf of Jesus, it is Jesus speaking through us. Jesus will do it. Jesus, who is living in the Father. And in those words and deeds, the common element will be love. Love as something concrete and tangible. Love as something expensive and sacrificial. Love that costs me something real and buys you something solid. Cross-shaped love. Verse 15, if you love me, you will keep my commands. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I do not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also Will live. On that day you will realize that I am in the Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. Well, a lot going on there. Another advocate. Jesus will give us, will send us another advocate. We can add to our understanding of God. Another. Well, as you may already know, the Greek language actually has two words for another. uh, Allos and heteros. Uh, Allos, the word found here, tends to mean another of the same kind, another also as in, would you like another slice of pie? Another of the same sort. In other words, heteros tends to mean another different, something other by distinction, as in, would you like to try another kind of pie? That wasn't meant to be poetry. (laughs) Using allos here rather than heteros, it's widely interpreted to suggest that the person indicated the spirit of truth He is another person of the same kind as Jesus. Advocate. Another advocate. The the word translated here as advocate, it's translated a whole different way in a whole bunch of different Bibles. You can translate it as advocate or comforter or helper or counselor or companion or friend, and it is translated in those different ways. The Greek word is parakletos, which literally means the one called to be alongside para, alongside, kratos, called. The word um, typically has a legal meaning. In effect, the lawyer who would speak on your behalf, speak in your defense, guide and help you with your court case. Defense attorney, perhaps. And Jesus, in this conversation, will have a lot more to tell us about this another advocate, the spirit of truth, and we'll get to that in future weeks as we move through this conversation. But there are two things that we should note that are of immediate importance. Jesus tells us now, the first is that the world won't accept our testimony as to the Spirit's existence because he is invisible. And we all know that invisible things aren't true. Like wind or radio waves. The second thing to grasp is that this another advocate, he is the presence of God. More than that, or included in that, is he is the presence of Jesus. Jesus is the truth. He is the Spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit. So then, if we think that God is two persons, we are mistaken. God is three persons. If we think that there are three gods, we are mistaken. There is one God. Jesus is with us because the Holy Spirit is with us. So then, just as the Father is in Jesus, and Jesus is in the Father through the Spirit, so too we are in Jesus, and Jesus is in us through the Spirit. So then, by way of something of a conclusion, if The question is where, then the answer is somewhere else. Jesus is going. But we know the way to the place where he is going. He is the way. Those who believe in Jesus as Christ, Messiah, Son of God, will not perish, but will enjoy eternal life. Where? With Jesus. Furthermore, Jesus is not abandoning his disciples. He will be with them. He will reveal himself to them. He will comfort them. He will come to them. Nor is Jesus abandoning his ministry in the world. Jesus' ministry in the world will continue even when he is not here, because he will be here through the spirit of truth at work in his disciples. And just as the wind has an astonishing effect on a sailboat, just as radio waves have a remarkable effect on the smartphone, turning lifeless things into animated Things so too the Holy Spirit will have an astonishing and unmissable effect on human beings, animating them. Indeed, you'd think they were made for each other. Thus, the ministry and lordship of Jesus Christ in his hidden physical absence will be spiritually hidden, if you like, In plain sight. Obvious and hidden. Obvious in the works of the Holy Spirit that the world will deny even exists. Obvious through the disciples whom the world delights to ridicule and exclude. But obvious and totally hidden. Hidden in plain sight. This will provoke a fifth question, which we'll look at next week. Lord, why this covert leadership? Why not just reveal yourself conclusively, overwhelmingly, obviously for the entire world to see? Why not just do that? Well, we'll return to that next week. Let us pray. Father, We come to you through Jesus, your Son. Thank you that Jesus is the way and the truth and the life, and that nobody comes to you, Father, except through Jesus, your Son. Thank you that He is with you and you are with Him. Thank you for giving us another advocate the spirit of truth. Thank you that the spirit is in you and in Jesus and in us. Thank you that we are in you just as you are in us. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for not leaving us as orphans, but indeed, thank you for being with us now. Please take us and use us for your glory, doing those things and even greater things in plain sight to the glory of the Father and in Christ's name. Amen.